0: we'll begin by looking at where we started last week, which was in the beginning. The first two verses of the book of Genesis is where we started. And where we started in the beginning was with the word in the beginning. The word in the Hebrew that we learned last week was the word Bereshit. And it literally means in the beginning. It's where we get our word for Genesis. And so it's important to understand as this verse starts off or if, as the book of genesis begins with in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth that we stop and we pause there to say that in if you have an issue with this verse if you have an issue with in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth then the entire rest of the bible is going to be an issue you're going to take exception with everything else you hear from this point forward but on the flip side of that the good news is if you can accept that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then the entire rest of the Bible is going to be much easier for you to accept. And so we look then at verse 2, which states that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so this second verse, we find that the earth was without form and void. Darkness and void had overtaken the earth. And now I share with you at least a possible theory with why or how the earth got to this point is that between verses 1 and verse 2 is that perhaps this is the fall of Lucifer. That God didn't create the earth uh, tohu vabohu is the phrase in the Hebrew. And and in fact if you go to Isaiah chapter 45 you find there that uh, Isaiah states through the Holy Spirit inspiring him that God did not create the earth uh, without form and void it was not originally tohu vabohu god is a god of creation and an order and beauty and so the earth had become this way it had become dark and void and then we arrive in here in verse 2 where it states and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the waters that here what we find and this is true in our life as well, is that any great work of God begins with the moving of His Spirit. And so the Spirit of God begins to move over the darkness, over the blackness, over the void, and then something wonderful is getting ready to happen. In fact, that arrives us here at verse 3. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God turns on the light switch he begins to shine into the darkness and literally in the hebrew what it states is uh, god said light be and light was i mean look at the power the the might the the awe-inspiring beauty of our god he says light be and light was and so what we find is god beginning to take these steps of bringing order into what was previously chaotic god god begins by his spirit moving and then turning on the light shining into those places and then he begins to order the chaos to bring things back into a place of right standing in fact what <clears throat> paul would write in second corinthians and we covered this you know, a few months back second corinthians uh, that video actually has audio if you go there um second corinthians chapter 4 <clears throat> verse 6 which states For it is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That God shining his light on the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the light of the world, into those dark places. Now back to the text at hand. We are in verse 4. And God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And so God has looked upon the earth. It was wiped out, dark, because of sin, because of selfishness and pride. And now He begins to separate the light from the darkness. And as I read through this, I couldn't help but think, man, this is my story. You know, wiped out by sin, wiped out by darkness, and then what happens is God steps in. His spirit begins to move, and the next thing you know, uh, he shines a light. He begins to put order to things that were previously chaotic. But for some of you Bible students out there, you're going to say, wait a minute, if the light was turned on right here in day one, uh, but the sun wasn't created until day four, what's the deal? How is this possible? Well, let me turn you to John chapter one. John begins his gospel very similarly to what we see in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 in fact the same phrase is what John states in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made and in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it some of your bibles might say the darkness did not extinguish it the idea is uh, comprehending extinguishing overcoming that the darkness could not overcome the light the the darkness had no choice but to flee this is the idea but all this to say the word is the light And and the word we're told if you skip ahead to verse 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, speaking none other than Jesus the Christ. He was the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And so when God said, let there be light and light be, this is Jesus shining His wonderful glorious light on the void spots in our life. Now, back to the text at hand, verse 5. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And so evening and morning were the first day. And now I, I find this phrasing interesting. And you're going to find this throughout the rest of the chapter, that evening and morning were the first day. And yet, how do we typically order our days, right? We typically look at uh, morning to evening, and that's the end of the day, but not so with God. And, and it's important to note that no detail goes unnoticed by the Lord. It's, this is an important detail that he takes things from evening to morning. And still to this day, the Jewish people, when they uh, begin to count down their day, they start the day at 6 p.m. And they go till 6 p.m. the next day. It's evening to morning is how they uh, actually log in their day. The, the phrasing in Hebrew is Erev, evening to morning, Boker. But the idea is from disorder to order. And as the, the sun begins to come up, What was previously impossible to see begins to come into picture and into focus as the darkness is driven out by the light and the darkness has no power over the light. And so evening to morning is the first day. Now verse 6, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters and thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament, from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And so the earth, so the evening and the morning were the second day. And so the heavens in our scriptures actually describe three different locations. The first heaven is what was described right here, as God created what is known as the the atmosphere. Where are earthly bodies, our terrestrial bodies dwell. And in fact, this is the only place our terrestrial bodies can exist. We have to have the right combination of oxygen around 21% and nitrogen around 79%. Otherwise, we, we can't survive on this planet. So much so that if we go into the second heaven, we'll talk about in a second, we have to take what? Spacesuits that have our atmosphere in them because it's, it's the only way these terrestrial bodies can survive. So the first heaven describes our atmosphere. The second heaven, and we're going to get to that in the upcoming verses, this describes the place where God places the stars in the heavens, in the sky, outer space. Now, the third heaven, this is the one where it gets many of us excited, where we cannot wait to be in the third heaven where we're together with God where he dwells before God. And in fact, scripturally, we have a a description of that. Uh, Second Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul here, uh, as he is being stoned to death in Lystra, this is an experience he has that he uh, now describes years later to the Corinthians. He says in verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one, was caught up into the, Third heaven, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. how uh, He was caught into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. And So as Paul gives a description of what the third heaven or what no, the heaven we typically think about was like, uh, the reality was Paul says, I don't have any words. There's no words to describe what I saw, what I saw heard what i experienced and this by the way is for a guy that that had some words i mean he wrote half of our new testament so paul knew how to describe some stuff and yet when it came to the heavenly scene he said not only do i not have words it's inexpressible but even if i tried it it would be unlawful it would be illegal to do that and so back to the text God is creating the heaven, the atmosphere that we dwell in. And what He does is He sets, He places a firmament or a water canopy around our planet above the waters that were below. And so it creates essentially a, a greenhouse effect around the earth. And what that means is that anywhere you would have gone on the planet at that time, the temperature would have been essentially the same. And so as I sit here with you now on a Monday morning and there's freezing rain, uh, and then I I become covetous in my heart, even though I know that's a sin uh, of the pastors that are in uh, Hawaii or or Southern California, I wouldn't have had that in the early days. I wouldn't have had that at the beginning of creation because the temperature would have been 75 and sunny all the time. But here's what's more is that as God placed this water canopy, it was also a protection from the UV rays that would come from the sun that would be placed in the sky in the upcoming days. That the sun beats down on our bodies. What actually destroys and decimates our bodies, it's the the UV rays and all the other rays that come in from the sun. It it breaks these bodies down. And so as we go through these first several chapters of Genesis and you wonder, how did they live so long? This is the answer. They lived as long as they lived because they didn't have the sun breaking down their bodies they had 78 degrees in sunshine and so they were able to live and survive for much longer periods of time and then as the flood happens and this water blanket is actually released a complete deluge of the earth a worldwide flood takes place no longer do you see the lifespans, and we now have to wear SPF 150 just in order to not get the skin cancer and so I say all that to state this um, that sin always has an effect on others. If you think about that, I mean, here, here you have Adam and Eve, and they, they commit this sin, and then eventually that sin rolls up to the days of Noah, where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, and God was left with no decision but to judge the earth. But as these who sinned sin so badly, and, and no doubt thinking these sins are hidden. How am I affecting or hurting anyone else? And often this is a spot we get in. The reality is our sin always has an effect on others. But no one lives to themselves, no one dies to themselves, no one sins unto themselves, no matter how hidden you think that is. And typically those hurt the worst are those that are the closest to us. And so even the very planet itself, the the animal kingdom, was affected because of our sin. Now, we continued day 3. And then God said, verse 9, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters He called seas, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so the evening and the morning were the third day. And so here we have the third day and what do we see begin to appear but but life. Plant life. The fruit of the ground begins to, to spring forth. And I love that God has such intentionality with his design i mean notice with me that the seed was there in the plant itself that it needed to to reproduce itself and so this answers the age-old question which came first the chicken or the egg the chicken is what came first and so we have answers to these questions but more than all that what i love is is that here we have day three and life begins The, the first fruits begin to be shown and what i what i find is that this is a great foreshadowing of the greatest day 3 in all of human history that on on day 1 when everything looked black and dark and void as the messiah was there upon the cross breathing his last breath and no doubt everyone thought there was not a chance day 2 what's happening but but the atmosphere is being Created, but things are are getting ready, getting prepared. It was silent. There was there was no seemingly still no hope, and yet the the pieces were being put into place for day three, for life to spring forth from the place that was previously uh, dead. And as Jesus uh, rolled the stone away, as the first fruits of the resurrection, Paul would call him uh, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse twenty, would spring forth. He gave way for you and I to have eternal life. And so we see life coming forth in day three and God making it clear that this was his plan, even from the very beginning. Now we continue in verse 14. And what he says here is, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for the lights in the firmaments of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night light to rule the night. And He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Here we find God now creating the, the second heaven. The, the stars were placed in the sky, but it was done so with intentionality, with purpose, with order. For signs and seasons is what we're told. And Also, we note that the sun was placed in the sky, the moon was placed in the sky, and they were given light. But this word, if you go back through the Hebrew, is not the same word that was used in verse 3. And so the question of the uh, Verse 3, light, when God said, let there be light, the word in the Hebrew is or, O-W-R. And we might ask, as we would have previously, where did this light come from? Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 12, would make it very clear for anyone who still had a question of where the light came from, as he states this, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Jesus making it abundantly clear. He is the or, The, the one who produces the light. Where the light originates, where the light begins is, is in Him. And yet, what we find here back to the text at hand is that the lights were placed for signs and seasons but these were not producers of the light. These are merely holders of the light. The word here is meor. Not the source, but the placeholder. Not the one who was the beginning, but the ones that, to bear the light. And so this actually speaks to you and I. Back to John chapter 1. That we'll pick up in verse 6 where we left off. Here in John chapter 1, verse 6, we read that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is speaking of John the Baptist. And this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, speaking of John. He was not that light, referring to Jesus, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. And so here we find John was called to be a placeholder, called to be a, a witness to the light, a bearer of the light, just like you And I were called. In fact, as Jesus was commenting on this in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he states this You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You all, you all are a light to the world. And the reason you're in this spot is actually similarly to the stars for signs and for seasons. And many times we have this feeling in our life, like, why am I here? Why did you put me in this place, God? I feel like I'm out in outer space where I'm at. And yet what he wants you to know is you're put there for a sign, for a season so that others can actually look to the light, not looking to you as the source, but looking to you as a placeholder, a bearer of the light. Your light is to point back to Jesus to say, here's the reason you can have hope in your situation. Here's a reason you can have hope in the season that you're in. And so to the world all around us, they are looking for answers. The world wants an answer. And here's the reality. You're their star. In God's economy, you are a star you're a superstar and so we're called into this place to be holders of the light <clears throat> now continuing in verse 20 and then god said let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens and so god created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying be fruitful and multiply fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth and so evening and morning were the fifth day verse 24 and then God said let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind the cattle and the creeping thing and the beasts of the earth and let each according to its kind and it was so and God made the beast of the earth according to its kind and the cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind and God saw that it was good and so uh, here's an important question that was answered right here in these final verses for all the ladies out there uh, that were wondering where did all these creeps come from here we see in verse 24 every creep that creepeth on the earth was created on the sixth day and so there you have an answer <clears throat> but in all seriousness, what we find is that every creature was created after its kind. And so this is important to note, that as God is a God of variety, and as we look in our life and the people that are in our life, we find that, that God loves variety, different faces, different looks, and yet no one is born outside of their kind. If you think of the animal kingdom, and you've got the the cute little teacup poodle that fits in your pocketbook. But then you've got the great Dane that's so big, 130 pounds, and yet what do we call them? We call them dogs, right? We, we don't look at them and say that's a cat, or that's a person, even if we treat them sometimes like people. We, we don't mistake in our minds that they might be more than what they are. they are. They are dogs. They're created after their kind. And so we've got variations within a kind, and yet never outside of a particular kind, which is why the entire theory of evolution is completely debunked. In fact, here is a a quote I found on the internet that states that fossil records are the gravest opponent to evolution. That that nowhere in the fossil record do you find a, a partially mutated animal. One going from one kind to the next kind. There's never been anything recorded or found that is in the transitionary state from one kind to the next. No cats beginning to grow into dogs or uh, dogs growing into monkeys or into humans. There's, there's no recording of this. In fact, this quote that I found, interestingly enough, that states that fossil records are the gravest opponent to evolution, uh, was credited <clears throat> in the 1850s to a gentleman named Charles Darwin. The very man who theorized that evolution stated that the biggest opponent to this theory that I have is the complete and utter lack of evidence. <laughs> there's, there's no evidence to actually back it up. And yet when we accept what God records in the Genesis record, we can begin to enjoy His beauty and His creativity. And his humor. I mean, you can't go to the zoo and not laugh at some of the creation that God has. Like, it's just, it's obvious that God loves variety. Man, go to the monkey cage. How can you not go and laugh at the monkeys? Or or at the Scoville Zoo in Decatur. I don't know if they still have these, but they used to have uh, the peacocks just walking around. And man, they'd have their feathers all fanned out and they're trying to show off. Uh, for the peahens, and the peahens are just completely ignoring the peacocks. I mean, it, it really it makes most of us guys laugh because it it sums up our 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 dating record for the most part. Like here we are, look at me, I'm so awesome, and the peahens uh, are just like, well, I don't even care. I don't know what you're doing right now. And so we we have to enjoy and appreciate the creativity and the beauty and the humor of God. Now, verse twenty six is an important transition. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And so God, or Elohim as it's stated here in our Scripture, it's the the plural form of God, and yet He is one. Compound unity is the idea. And God we know is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, and yet one altogether unified God in community with one another. And they stated this, let us create man in our image according to our likeness. And we here as we sit and as we watch online, we can see that we are three in one as well. We are, first of all, the body or the soma in the Greek. This is the vehicle that carries you and I around from place to place. we are Secondly, we are soul or, or psyche. This is the, where our emotions and our Feelings and our thoughts are all derived. Sometimes it's called our, our gut instinct. This is this is part of what makes us truly us. And then the third part, the part that I've underlined, is is we are spirit. We are pneuma. We we were created as spiritual beings. And so as we consider this, you might ask, how how are we created in his image? Three three ways I want to give you to at least consider this morning. First of all, it's important to note that God is Spirit, and we also are spiritual beings. In fact, as Jesus in John chapter 4 was speaking to the woman at the well, he was trying to explain to this Samaritan woman exactly what he was talking about, and she was all concerned about well, do we worship in this spot? Do we worship in this spot? Where do we worship at? And here's what Jesus says in verse 24: God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit. And in truth, God is spirit. We often want to describe uh, God having arms or legs or, or a face, but the reality is he is He is a spiritual being. And so we too... Created in the image of God, are spiritual beings. That's what you and I essentially are. We are spirit beings. And we know this when we go to things like like funerals. We see a body there and we go, well, that's not what made so-and-so that person. They're no longer here because their spirit and their soul have departed. They've gone on, hopefully, into eternity with God. But we are created to be spiritual beings and these bodies simply carry around our soul and our spirit from place to place. And considering that, let me ask you this question. Why is Adam and Eve originally placed in the garden? Why didn't they know that they were naked in the first place? I mean, here they are just walking around naked everywhere they go, and yet they they don't appear to have any idea or any care. And what I would submit to you is this. Um, They didn't know they were naked because they were in fact clothed. They were clothed in their spirit that as God created them, He didn't create them body, soul, and spirit, but He created them spirit, soul, and body. And so as they communicated with God and walked with Him in the garden in the cool of the day, they were communicating spirit to spirit. But as they decided to, to make the decision to follow after their own will and not His will be done for their life, as they made that decision, the spirit then went inside and rut row reggie? Next thing you know, i got no clothes on. I just now realized my my spirit has gone inside, therefore I'm no longer clothed. And they decided to go make a, a clothing for themselves. We'll get to that here in another chapter. All this to state that you and I are spiritual beings. Secondly, we, like God, are made to be self-determinant. God has created you and I unlike any other creature in the animal kingdom. Uh, not only given us a spirit unlike any other, but also given us an, a special ability to choose. We have this amazing gift to be able to reason and choose and logically process through things now you might wonder why is this so important some days it feels like a curse I can't decide whether to go out in the freezing rain or not uh, so I'm going to stay home and watch Facebook and so and yet we have this amazing gift to choose why is that so important it goes along with this third thing that I wanted to mention this morning and that is this that we are also given an amazing capacity to both give and receive love. We are given this, unlike any other creature, we are given this amazing ability to both give and receive love. And love is the chief emotional characteristic of God. If you ever went to Bible school as a kid, at the Baptist church, we would sing this song, John 4, 7, 8, duh, 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 1 John 4, 7 and 8, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, which states, beloved, Let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God for God is love. This describes who God is. But here's the thing. Love demands a choice that that we cannot truly love if we haven't decided from a From a place of willingness. But the idea is forced love is no love at all. There's another word for forced love and it it doesn't look or feel like love. In fact, it'll get you 20 to 25 in a a state penitentiary. And so a forced love is no love and God desires to love on us and He does love us abundantly. He pours His love out upon us but He also wants us to, to choose and to love Him. And here's the reality for us as well, and it plays out in our lives daily, that if I'm not Spirit-led, I will at some point in time run at the end of my ability to love. That my capacity to love you is limited by how willing I am to let God actually lead. But being Spirit-led, it allows me to truly love others, including my own spouse, I can say I love you all I want, but if I'm not Spirit-led, then I'm not, there's a, a limit to how much I can actually love. And yet as we begin to let the Spirit lead us, He increases our capacity. He gives us an unbelievable capacity to love Him and to love others as He works through us. Now, back to the text. Verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the earth. And so God here gives to uh, Adam, or man as it's translated in our scripture, uh, He gives to dominion over man uh, the entire earth. But the question might be, for some of you, is who or what did God give uh, man dominion over? Like what, what do they need to subdue the earth from? And the reality is, uh, God has decided, He has chosen to partner with you and I in order to drive out pride and greed and selfishness and the darkness of Satan. Remember, the earth was without form and void, and God is now driving out the darkness, and He has, in His infinite wisdom, chosen to partner, to work together with you and I as Little images of Him in order to drive out the enemy, to subdue the earth, to have dominion over your world. But the question is, how, how did God give them that ability? How did God, What did God give them as a tool to have dominion, to subdue the earth? Well, here we see right here in the text. Here's how you subdue the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over it. The key to to having dominion, to subduing your world is through fruitfulness and multiplication. Now often we read that phrase and and see be fruitful and multiply, and we can only think about procreation. And for many of us, we do a really good job of that. We like that part a lot. But, But let me submit to you that God is actually referring to something much deeper than that. He's speaking of spiritual multiplication and spiritual fruitfulness. That if you want to have dominion over your world, the place God has put you, here's the key. It begins with being fruitful. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5.22 tells us the fruit, singular of the Spirit, not fruits, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the fruit. Now when you bite into love, it it tastes like joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All these wonderful flavors... Of love, and yet love is the key. And here's the thing, First Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says that love covers a multitude of sins. That there's all kinds of things as I really begin to love people as Jesus works through me that all kinds of sins are covered. I can begin to forgive in an amazing way. And you know how? Because I realize how much I've been forgiven. Who am I to hold withhold forgiveness based upon my life and what I have done? And so I can begin to forgive and and cover this multitude of sins, both my own and others, through love. And yet what resists it so often is is my flesh. My flesh wants to fight for what's mine. Why should I forgive them because of how they've hurt me? And here's what James says is the real culprit. The one body part that does the absolute most damage is this, James chapter 3, verse 6, which states, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Thank you, James, for not pulling any punches. But the reality is, um, when I'm fruitful, uh, things will multiply in my life and I can subdue it. But when I begin to backbite and complain and find fault and pick at literally, as my words begin to do this to people and situations in my life and nothing is ever good enough and nothing is ever right enough. And as I begin to just pick fault and find issue with things, the very fires of hell begin to be released in my life. I'm burning up villages and relationships and family members and all these things are happening because of the fire of hell that comes out of our mouth. Before Jesus, one of my favorite movies was Sin of a Woman. uh, And Al Pacino would say, I'm going to take a flamethrower to this place. And this is what it looks like oftentimes. As we don't have control, self-control, over the tongue that is in our mouth. It's like taking a flamethrower and just destroying entire relationships and connections. When what God wants us to do is to instead be fruitful and to multiply. Now, how do we see multiplication? I don't know what words am I supposed to share. Thank you, Pastor Brock, for saying that I'm going to burn down my entire village all around me. I would like to subdue my life. So what would it look like in my world if I were to really share things? Well, I'm so glad you asked this morning. Acts chapter 6. And in Acts chapter 6, this is the place where the original deacons were called in the church. Stephen and Uh, Philip and all their friends, and and here in verse 7, this is the key. And then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Did you catch that? The key to multiplication was the spreading of not their words, but the word, the word of God. And so if I want to see multiplication in my life, if I want to begin to see my world coming into order and the chaos being driven out and the darkness driven out and, and I'm commanded by God to be fruitful and multiply and subdue my world, the way that it happens is through the Word of God being shared. And so what that means is maybe it's a devotion you read this morning. And it impacted you. And you get the opportunity to share it with someone else. Maybe it's simply talking about Scripture with the people in your family. It's amazing how many stories and and how many things you can talk about throughout God's Word inside your family. And the next thing you know is love gets to be a whole lot easier. It's easier for us to be fruitful. And then multiplication happens and disciples are made as we spread the Word of God. Now, As we close, back to verse 29. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And then God saw everything that He made, and indeed it was very good. And so evening and morning were the sixth day. As I read these verses, what I was struck with is the reality that everything Adam and Eve needed, God had already provided. I mean, think about it. He made this provision back in day three. For every plant, every vegetable, every fruit, everything they would need to make bread, it was all there in day three. He didn't create them until day six. And do you realize the same is true for you and I? That everything we need, He has already given. He's already made provision for you. Even before He created you, He created a good work for you, and He created everything you would need in order to be able to accomplish it. And so, the question really is a matter of, of trust. The question is, do I believe what His Word says? In fact, Psalm 103, verse 5 says this, "...who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles." James one seventeen says, "...all good gifts come down from the Father of lights." And what Paul says in First Timothy to his young protege there, is this in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And so the the request of God, the command of God really, is to believe and trust that all good gifts come from Him. Every good gift we have, it comes from Him. And as we approach Him, we have to trust Him that He's going to provide the things that are best for us. Which leads to this question that is, that is simply this. For many, we will ask, why then, if God gives good gifts and He gives to us His sons and daughters, why then hasn't He given me what I've asked for? I've asked repeatedly for, for this thing to, to be taken care of or this thing to be provided, and yet He hasn't done it. I don't believe it because of that. The reality is, if God hasn't given it to you, it's because He's deemed it's not actually what you need. It's not actually good for you. And I have gone through whole periods in my life where I've asked for things, looking back, that God did not provide either at all or in that season, and I found that that thing would have been completely wrong for me. I would have missed out entirely on lessons that He that He had for me had I gotten that thing and he fulfilled that request and so what we find is it's really an issue of our will and as our will becomes his will here's what you'll find is um, his will is always done his will is always accomplished and so as i begin to grow and mature things like psalm 84 come to mind. Psalm 84 verse 11 which states this, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He's protecting me. The Lord will give grace and glory and no good thing will He uphold for those who walk uprightly. Not no thing will He uphold, but no good thing. What is good for me, He will not keep from me as I grow in Him and I trust Him. And I say, Lord, I only want it if it's what You want for me. All this to say, there were a group of disciples that were surrounding Jesus and they were struggling with the idea of trust. How do we approach God in prayer? How do we trust Him in prayer? And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 8-13. We commonly call it the Lord's Prayer. He said that when you pray, pray like this. That our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, you, you are so holy. You are so uh, otherworldly. You're so great and good. We see Your magnificence all around us. And we want Your kingdom to come and Your will to be done in our life. We want Your, your kingdom to be right now. I want You to be living through me. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Not our, not our weekly bread or our monthly bread. Not our, our long-term bread, our 401k bread. But Lord, just give us what we need today. We want to trust You in the, the daily thing that You're going to provide for today. Lord, forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, I, I have, I have cremated, created tremendous uh, sin towards You. Thank You for forgiving me. Now Lord, give us the courage to forgive others. Give us the courage to exercise forgiveness. And Lord, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I mean, I am, I am flesh, and so I'm so tempted, Lord. I need your deliverance. I need your constant communication and reminder in my life to be led away from temptation. I mean, Paul would say, who will deliver me from this body of death? I mean, Lord, we're so tempted as a people. But Father, we rely upon You to not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one who wants to snag us and trip us up. For Yours is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As I grow in trust with Him, and I rely on Him as as His kingdom is coming, I can say, Lord, all these things, I want my will to become Your will. I want Your will to become my will is a better way to say it. I want Your will to be done in my life. And the word is amen. So be it. And so, Father, we thank You and we praise You for a chance to walk through the rest of Genesis chapter 1. Thank You, Lord, for Your promise of provision. Father, we are so blown away and how you provide long before we ever even realize what our needs truly are. Lord, thank you for your provision in our life. Father, please help us to be fruitful and to multiply. We want to subdue the world around us. We know that you put us in a specific place for signs and seasons and to subdue the world around us, to partner with us, to drive out darkness and selfishness and pride that so easily snags us and trips us up. And so, Father, we would ask, We would ask you, Lord, would you please see that we have fruit and multiplication happening through the power of your word and through love. Lord, help us to love deeper and not be ones who pick and find fault with everything, but instead we become grateful for the things that you have put in our life. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being patient and tuning in. Uh, We'll see you next week.